Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Ephesians chapter 4, reading from verse 1. The Bible says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Uh, Be completely humble and gentle. And just remember, uh, Paul is speaking to the church and he's saying, As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We've all received a calling. Live a life worthy of it. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope and uh, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when He ascended on I, He led captives in His train and He gave gifts to men and women in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. It's just something so special, Lord God, about just being able to sit and hear the word of the Lord. Father, I just pray that even as I share today, that it wouldn't be my words, it would be your word, that the gifts of the Spirit just be in operation. Bind every spirit of fear and intimidation. Just let there be freedom here today to speak the word and to receive the word. We want to hear a word from you today, Lord God. Speak to us, Lord God, as individuals and corporately as the body of Christ, we pray. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Uh, We've been in a series uh, over the last few weeks uh, entitled Called to Serve, Um, key thoughts over this series and probably the most important thought is that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Uh, That you're not an accident, you you, you were born at just the right time with just the right gifts to accomplish God's purpose for your life. It's just a simple thought but it's a powerful thought. Uh, Because the alternative is here, we're just here by accident. The alternative is here, well, we're just going to go through life and and eat, breathe and sleep and go to work and and then one day die. That's not the reason why we exist. We were called by God. God has a purpose for our life. He has given gifts, He's put gifts inside of us so that we can serve His purposes. And there's nothing greater that we can do than discover and to serve the purposes of God in our life. Nothing greater that we can do in our life than to understand and discover why God has placed us here and to serve His purposes in our generation. Can I hear an amen? Question is, how do we do that? That's the big question. Question is, how do we do that? Well, we've shared a few principles over the last few weeks. And if you haven't been here, you can go onto the the internet and download those sermons. But for those of you that might be overwhelmed by this whole discovering your purpose thing, because I think at times we can complicate it. And you know what, how how do I discover what it is that I'm called to do? The purpose, you know, um, we can all get kind of uh, intimidated by all of that. But let me just give you two really simple keys that you can take home and actually you can, you, can, you can put into place, put into practice right now. The first one is desire to be used by God. It's pretty simple, I know, but, 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 but how do I discover my grand purpose for being here? Number one, it's desire to be used by God. Um, desire is so important because it moves us towards whatever it is that we're desiring. 
Whatever it is that we desire, we move towards. And if our desire is to be used by God, what we're saying to the Holy Spirit is, I want you to do something in my life. I want you to prepare me. I want you to speak to me about what it is that you want to do in my life. Desire to be used by God. All that is, is a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer that we pray every single week and every single day. Lord, do something with my life. Lord, use me for your glory. Lord, I recognize that I'm not here by accident. I'm not the product of a big bang. I did not evolve from a monkey to here. Can I hear an amen? Amen. There's a big amen there. (laughs) No monkeys in this place. Uh, um, I I know that I'm here by divine appointment. You knit me together in my mother's womb. All right, God, I understand that I, that I could have been born in any time, at any place, anywhere. I could be living in any city right now. But you've placed me here. God, I want to know why. I want, I want to serve your purposes, whatever that is, Lord God. Desire to be used by God. It's powerful. And the second key is just as important. It's not desire to be used by God and sit in a chair and wait for something to happen. The second key is find a place to serve. Just find a place to serve anywhere. Oh, but Pastor Joe, you don't understand. I'm pretty gifted. (laughs) I'm not like everybody else. Find a place to serve anywhere. It's where it starts. And I can tell you that's the first few steps in helping you discover your purpose. Key verse for the series is now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. It's a powerful verse. It's a wonderful verse. I don't know about you, but I want to serve God's purpose in my generation. What will it profit at the end of the day if I had, you know, millions and millions of dollars, but I haven't served the purposes of God? What are my millions of dollars going to count in eternity? God isn't going to say, well, how much money did you make while you were down there? He's not going to say, well, how many degrees did you get while down? He's not going to say, well, how many books did you write? He's not going to say any of that. He's going to ask a simple question. Did you serve my purposes while you were down there? I want to serve the purposes of God in my generation. I, I, I want to serve. I want to be everything that God has called me to be, whatever that looks like and wherever that is. This morning, I want to extend this thought further. And I want us to see the power of serving together. You see, it's one thing to serve alone. It's quite another thing to serve together with other people. All throughout history, we see the incredible differences teams have made. One of the most amazing feats, I believe, in the last century was the landing on the moon. We're still not 100% sure whether it really happened for the doubters out there, for the skeptics out there. But, you know, the landing on the moon did happen, apparently. Uh, NASA's 1969 uh, Apollo 11 mission was a great demonstration of a team working together. You'll remember the, uh, the famous quote by Neil Armstrong who said, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for... Yeah, pretty good, aren't you? Uh, While the three astronauts were the ones to go to the moon, it's estimated that over 400,000 people contributed, worked on the project uh, to get the the, the guys up there on on the moon. A powerful team effort. 400,000 people. We don't even know who they are. We don't even know what their names are. You see pictures of them all standing behind these wall of gadgets and whatever, each one of them doing their part. And that's what got the, the, the men up there on the moon. Think about one of the great product developments of our time, the Mac computer. Um, we credit Steve Jobs with the invention, but he didn't work on his, on his own. Uh, he had an incredible team working with him. He selected a few guys that he knew could help him uh, bring that vision to pass, but he would never have done it on his own. It was because he had, because he had a team. What about one of the greatest sporting teams of our time? 
known all over the world for their sporting achievements. Uh, their win-loss ratio is unprecedented. Um, uh, in, in, in all kinds of sport, uh, they're known to be an amazing team. Of course, I'm talking about the Crows Football Club. <laughs> uh, it's the Rugby All Blacks. It's the Rugby All Blacks. In the last 125 years, they've won 75% of their games, which is just unprecedented. We might know, not know individual All Black players, but we know about the All Blacks rugby team. We know how powerful they actually are. I reckon it's that thing that they do beforehand. Um, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, if I was on the opposing team, I'd say, I want to do one of those too. I, I, I would, I would, I would, I would, you know, uh, I think that's what it is. Uh, it's a statistic that's unsurpassed. Uh, in any other national uh, sports team. Often we think we need a hero, a superstar to do great things. Never underestimate the power of a team. Uh, Michael Jordan said this, talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. Uh, not only in history, but even throughout the Bible, we see the incredible power of teamwork. When Jesus began his ministry, one of the first things he assembled was a team. That's one of the first things that Jesus did. Jesus could easily have ministered on his own. He preached quite well and, you know, he, he was able to do miracles. But one of the first things that Jesus did, he's, he assembled a team together. He chose a ragtag group of 12 men to whom he entrusted the incredible message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was involved with them. He stayed with them for over three years. And when he was about to go back to heaven, he said to them, listen, he gave them a really important command. He said, listen, what I want you to do, guys, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses, never, never underestimate what, 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 what gives us the ability to do what we do. Never underestimate. It's not our IQ. It's not how smart we are. It's not our abilities. It's always by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the moment we start to think that, oh, it's about me or it's about what I'm doing, then we get into all kinds of trouble, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this group of men that were on the outside looked like a bunch of ordinary, unprecedented, un uneducated, un fearful men um, turned the whole, the then known world, completely upside down. In fact, the people said, "But who are these guys? These just guys. These guys are ordinary people." They said, "You know, who, who are they?" And all they recognized was they had been with Jesus. And these guys turned to their known world upside down. And I believe God is still looking for teams. I, I believe that God is still looking for a group of people, disciples of Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ, that he can entrust with the gospel message, that he can fill with the Holy Spirit, and that he can use to turn the world upside down. Can I hear an amen? Paul said to the Corinthian church, he says, listen, now you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. And each one of you is, as one translation says, a necessary part of it. And here, here's the thought um, that, I, that, I, that, I, that I want us to pick up this morning. The more as a church we work together, serve together, unite together, the more effective the church becomes in doing the very things that Jesus would do. As a church, we are called to be the body of Christ. We are called to do the very things that Jesus would do. And the more we unite together, the more we work together the more we can accomplish that particular goal in being the physical representation of Jesus 
Christ. Question is, how can we serve together more effectively as a team? Uh, how, how can we serve together with one heart, one mind, and one spirit? Well, to help us understand all of this, um, we're going to look at the acronym TEAM um, to look at four principles that will help us understand the power of TEAM. Four principles on how we can actually work together as a team because there's incredible power in TEAM. First principle we need to understand is what I've already been talking about, the power of together. The first important principle we need to understand uh, is the power of together. That we will do more things together than we will on our own. That we will be more effective when we work together than when we work alone. It's not addition, it's multiplication. It's not two plus two plus two. It's two times two times two um, synergy. For those of you that can add, and I know some of you are going, what is that? Two times two. Uh, Don't stress. Many foods, listen carefully, are good on their own. But when you combine them with others, the taste multiplies. Come on, you you with me today? The other day I had to go buy some bread. I was in a bakery. I was buying bread. Don't, Don't be alarmed. But there in the window was chocolate donuts. Come on, uh, chocolate donuts in there. Now, you could eat a donut on its own and it'd be pretty bland, yuck. Uh, fried in grease and fat and all the rest of it. But as soon as they whack that layer of chocolate on top of it, it just goes to another level. Can I hear an amen out there? Come on, come on stay with me. And then they had in the window not only the layer of chocolate, they had the hundreds and thousands on top of it as well. I mean, and that just, I mean, you've got... Uh, Chocolate donuts, chocolate donuts with, with hundreds and thousands, and then you've got heaven. I mean, it's just one step away from, from heaven. It just, it just, when you combine these foods, it takes it to another level. Uh, what about scones with jam and cream? Come on, that's for the, uh, you know, the, the tea drinking, you know, all those ones with, the, you know, the little, little finger, the, 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 the chocolate donuts, scones and jam with tea, you know, God bless you. Uh, you know, you could eat a scone on its own, but it'd be pretty bland. And it's not too bad. It's, a, it's just a scone. But when you add the jam and when you add lots of cream, the taste just goes to another level. And I could talk about a lot of other food. Uh, panini with prosciutto, bocconcini, melanzane, black olives. Although, you know, uh, each of those would be pretty good on their own too. Come on. Prosciutto is it's Italian food. So on its own, it's a meal. You know what I'm saying? Salt and pepper squid, we could do a pasta and all the rest of it. Individually, these elements are okay. But when you combine them, the taste goes up to another level. Synergy is the interaction of two or more agents or forces so that their combined effort is greater than the sum of their individual parts. Synergy. Uh, synergy is the interaction of two or more agents or forces so that their combined effort is greater than the sum of the individual effects. And it's the same with teams. And it's true with the church of Jesus Christ, that we could work on our own and we'd get a certain amount of things done. But when we combine our efforts, we're able to do so much more. All throughout the Bible, we find that ministry was never done by individuals. It was always done in the context of a team. Uh, The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. The Bible is saying that when two people work together, they'll have a greater return for their labor. If the church is going to be effective, we need to understand that together 
we can do so much more. Did you know that every single Sunday, we have over 70 people that make this work on a Sunday morning? Did you understand that? 70 people that actually make this whole, whole thing work on a Sunday morning. If, if those 70 people weren't here, it would be a disaster. If it was me doing everything, it would be a disaster. Trust me, you wouldn't want me to lead songs or play. It would be a cappella, trust me. <laughs> there would be no instruments. There would be no musicians. Can you imagine? But there are over 70 people every single week who wake up on a Sunday morning and they're not waking up because, you know, they're going to enjoy the service. They wake up because they're on a roster of some description because they're coming to serve. And that's what makes this so special and so wonderful. And for some of them, it starts on Friday or even Saturday. They come and clean the church. Wow, that's amazing. Come on, give them a hand. Come on. Mm. Not all of you that were clapping are on a roster though. Come on. <laughs> yes, that's right. There's still room on that roster. Trust me, there's room on, on that cleaning roster. Um, and I know this principle is simple, but we need to understand how important it is. God never intended us to do uh, church alone. He always intended us to work in the context of a group and in the context of community. And not only do we learn this uh, uh, teamwork from history, we also learn from nature. Think about how ants and bees work together. I'm fascinated by bees. Uh, I, I'm just fascinated by how they work and how they communicate with each other. And of course, you've heard about geese and, and how they work together. Uh, geese, when they fly south for the winter, they fly in V formation. Come on, you've heard about this. Uh, that gives them a 70% increase in their flying range. Because they fly in V formation, they can fly 70% further than what they would. Uh, the geese honk each other uh, as they're moving along. If the one at the front is a bit slow, they go honk, 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 honk. Crazy drivers, you know, like some of you. Some of you are gooses. That's why you're always honking on the, you know. Anyway, uh, the geese are always honking each other so that they stay motivated. If one should get injured or gets tired and flies down, two other geese fly down with it, stay with it for a couple of days and uh, until they restored and then they resume uh, the flight. Geese teach us the power of working together. Reminds me of a story of a time uh, when geese were getting ready to fly south. Last week we, turned, we learned about the donkey, today it's about the geese. Um, well, uh, the, the leader of the geese was just rounding up the troops and saying, hey guys, tomorrow we're going to be flying south. Where one of the geese said, well, I don't want to fly south tomorrow. He said, what do you mean you don't want to fly south tomorrow? Well, I'm sick and tired of flying south every single year. We go down there, then we come back up here, and then we go. He goes, I'm sick and tired. I'm not going to fly south. He goes, we always fly south. That's what geese do. We fly south. We fly in V formation. It's really important. We do, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm sick and tired of it. You're not going to tell me what to do when I'm doing it. Sure enough, the, the geese fly away the day after, and this geese stays back. Stays back. He's on his own. And, in, and one day goes past, two days goes past, and he goes, you know, how stupid was I? Here I am by myself. I should have gone with the other geese and now I'm all alone here. What am I going to do? Uh, it's going to get cold and, and all the rest. He decides to catch up with the other geese. So he flies off uh, on his own, hoping to catch up with the other geese. And, and he's flying and flying and flying, but he's on his own, not in a V formation. So he's struggling. It's cold up there. And the ice uh, from the cold up there starts to freeze its wings. So it can no longer fly like it was flying before. If it gets to a point where its wings are so frozen, it starts to dive down. 
because it can't fly anymore. And it's doing this dive down and he's thinking, that's it, I'm dead, I'm finished, my life is over, I, 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 that's it, I, I'm gone. What an idiot, I should have gone with the other geese. Anyway, he flies down onto the ground and, it, and he flies right in the middle of this freshly laid cow dung. Right in the middle of, plop, right in the middle of this freshly laid cow dung. And um, uh, the cow dung, not only softened the blow, but because it was freshly laid, it was warm. And so, what's wrong? Is everything okay here? Anyway, it was warm. So as, as, the, as, the, as, the, as the goose is there on the fresh, he, he can't believe it's luck. He can't believe that it landed on this. And sure enough, the, the ice is starting to, to thaw out on, on, on its wings. And, and he starts to honk, as geese do. And he starts to get so excited. And he's honking, honking, honking away. And he catches the attention of a cat, which isn't too far away. And so the cat comes along. What's all this honking? Sees a bird thinks about lunch and then comes along. And so the cat starts to lick the dung off of uh, the, the goose, starts to clean up his lunch because that's what cats do. You see, dogs would never do something like that, but that's what cats do. And the, 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 the bird can't believe his luck. He's got this really nice cat that's cleaning him up. He's washing him up as well. Well, he's now clean and then suddenly... The, uh, the, the, the cat starts to go for its, for its wing. The, the, the goose recognises it wants to eat him and so the goose flies away. Moral of the story, here it is. This, this is where we get to, all right? Uh, moral of the story, three lessons. Number one, not every cow dung you fall into in life is bad for you. <laughs> Number one. Number two, not everyone that licks the dung off your face is your friend. Lesson number two. And the most important lesson, don't be a goose and stay with the team. Don't underestimate the power of together. Don't underestimate the protection of together. Don't, don't underestimate what happens when we work together. Don't cultivate this me, my and I selfish attitude. Understand the power of together, that together we can do so much more. The opposite of together is an independent spirit. No, I'm not going to do what you want. No, no, no. I don't care what we do year in and year out. It's not what an independent spirit is always going to destroy us. Uh, a spirit of working together is always going to enable us to do so much more. And it's going to bring the best out of us. In a marriage where you've got independence, there's always going to be squabbling and there's always going to be fighting. No, not your way, not, not my way, it's my way, not your way. It's, it's always going to be fighting and about who's in control. But when couples learn to work together, it brings the best out of both of them. Can I hear an amen? John Gottman has written a, a book called Seven Pillars of Marriage, and it's a fantastic book. Thoroughly recommend that you should read it. Seven Pillars, Seven Principles. He studied thousands and thousands of marriages and consolidated it to seven principles that he believes are, are, are kind of the cornerstone of what makes a marriage work. One of the principles he says, uh, if, a, if a marriage is going to be successful, it's when, um, it's when couples allow their spouse to influence them. They allow their spouse to influence them, especially men, he says, who allow themselves to be influenced by their wives. Can I hear an amen? amen. There's a lot of amens there. <laughs> men are going, he's hit us again. <laughs> he's just bad, like that, just whack, you know. Um, 
You know, but, but, but in a marriage, we can have this independent kind of, no, no, well, why should I do what you say? But, but when, what Gottman is saying, when couples allow themselves to, be, to influence each other, then uh, the marriage is far more successful. Anyway, I pray that we will always understand the power of together, that we will always understand that together we can do so much more. The second principle to being an effective team is that we need to encourage one another's giftings. Paul says in the Ephesians, in the text we read, but each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now God didn't give gifts to some of the people. God gave gifts to every one of us. Paul also said to the Romans, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And the grace, the word grace there is the ability to do stuff you could never do on your own. It's not forgiving grace, it's enabling grace. We have different gifts according to the abilities that God has given us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraged, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. If we're going to operate effectively as a team... We need to understand that we don't have all the gifts as individuals. We need to understand that, that the church is filled with people who have different gifts to us. And if a church is going to be effective, it's because each person does their work. It's because each person plays a part. It's where the leaders lead and the teachers teach and the helpers help and the givers give and the shepherds shepherd. It's where everyone uses the gifts they have been given. And you know, so often as people, we're more interested in what God has given everybody else than what He's given us. We always tend to see what God is doing through everybody else than what He's doing through us. Don't worry about what God is doing in other people's lives. Worry about what He wants to do in your own life. He has gifted us, the Bible tells us. There is a grace on each and every one of us. And as we use our gifts, the church becomes more effective. One of the ways that's going to happen is We need to encourage one another. We need to be like the geese and honk each other. uh, Where we call out the gifts that God has placed inside of us. I love this word, this verse in in Timothy, where Paul is writing a letter to Timothy from a prison cell in Rome. And he's heard stuff about Timothy that that wasn't good. And so he writes to him, I love this letter. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's a great scripture that speaks about fear. Timothy had begun to disqualify himself from from the ministry. And that verse on fear was directed to Timothy. I I want you to know if there's something that's going to stop us from being everything that God has called us to be, it's fear. It's fear. Fear has this, this way of paralyzing us and bringing us down. So Paul, seeing that fear was starting to get a hold of Timothy, he begins to encourage him. And I love the encouragement. Paul says to him, come on, Timothy, there's a gift inside of you and you need to fan that gift in, 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 in the flame. Come on, Timothy, why don't you stir the gift of God that is in you? Come on, Timothy, there's a gift inside of you. Why don't you bring it to flame? I pray that we would have that same spirit in the church as the Apostle Paul. That we would always encourage people to develop the gifts that God has given them. Can I hear an amen? That when we would see the touch of God on someone's life, that we would begin to call that out in the name of Jesus. There's, there's genius in every single person. There's giftings in every single person. Uh, there's ministry in every single person. There's calling in every single person. 
the alternative is, no, well, this person's a mistake, and I don't believe that to be true at all. Historically, in Italian culture, you were never encouraged. I don't know about the other cultures, with cultures where you come from, Italian culture, you're never encouraged. You were never encouraged. You never encouraged your children because it might go to their head. <laughs> a whole lot of other messages went to their head as a result of not encouraging them. But, they, but one thing's for sure, they weren't proud, you know. Um, uh, if anything, uh, they did the opposite. You know, they made sure you stayed humble. You know what I mean? <laughs> and who do you think you are, you know? Uh, I pray that we would never have that kind of a culture, the crab ministry, where you're always bringing people down. I pray that would never be the spirit of this church. You see, when you win, we all win. It's the kingdom of God that wins. It's not, I need to be better than you, or you need to be better. It's not who's better than who. It's ultimately about building the kingdom of God. So often we can't see what's inside of us. So often we doubt ourselves, and all we can see is our weaknesses and failures. Others can see our strengths. I pray that we would always encourage one another, that we would always be a church that helps each other be everything that God has called us to be. Uh, third principle to being an effective team is that we need to accept one another. Uh, one of the great enemies of teamship or working together is differences, uh, personality differences, background differences, maturity differences, cultural differences, and the list goes on and on and on. So many differences that we have that can actually divide us. Paul said to the church in Ephesus, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul is saying, remember that we are called by God. We talked about that before. And then he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And that speaks about the culture, the values that ought to permeate the church. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why does Paul say that? Uh, he says that because whenever you bring people together, there's potential for conflict. Can I hear an amen? amen. One, of the, one of the things in marriage, when, when we do pre-marriage counseling, we talk about conflict and we talk about the differences. And, and there's a whole bunch of differences that could all easily cause conflict in our relationship. There's a whole ton of them. Can I hear an amen? Um, and we need to be aware of that. And, and, and Paul's words uh, to the church here, they apply in marriage and they apply to us as a church. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. We may not understand the power of the church, but the enemy does. And he will do everything to divide us. Paul says, learn to accept one another. Learn to work with each other. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. I often think that if everyone was like me in church, there would be no problems. Can I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> no one that knows me well said amen. Just, just a... But if that was the case, it would be a boring church. Isn't that true? Come on. All right, that was louder. That's not good. Uh, what makes a symphony and symphony so good to listen to is the different instruments. It's the cello, it's the violins, it's the clarinets, it's the drums, it's the dude with the little flute. That's, that's what makes the symphony so good. It's the differences that make the symphony sound so amazing. And our differences can either be a source of conflict or a source of strength. We need to learn to protect the unity of the Spirit.
The enemy is always going to try and divide us, but we need to learn to protect the unity of the Spirit. I tell people, if you're, if you're a worker in our church, one of the things I want you to do, I want you to promote the vision of the church. I don't want you to just, just, uh, just you know, yeah, I like the vision. I want you to be a part of, uh, promote the vision of the church. Be a person of character. It's just not what you say, it's how you live your life. Be a person of character because people are watching. And number three, I want people to protect the unity of the church. The enemy wants to divide us. The enemy is going to use every kind of way and every possible way to divide us. And what we need to do as a church, understand, the Bible says, for we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes. We're not ignorant of of the way the devil works. And what we need to do is make every effort to protect the unity of the Spirit. Because the Bible says, we're brothers and sisters. Psalm 133, dwell together in unity. The Bible says, there he commands his, his blessing. Remember, it's not the conflict that's the problem. It's what we do with the conflict. And the greatest thing that we can do is address the conflict in love. It's a powerful scripture. This scripture, it says, look, be completely humble. It's not about you and gentle. It's so easy for us to see everybody else's flaws except our own. Be patient. Come on, how many people know this is really easy to do? Come on. Um, bearing with one another in, in love. You know, I want people to be humble with me. I want people to be gentle with me. I want people to be uh, patient and bearing with me in love. Um, But I don't want to do that with other people. But other people should get their act together in the name of Jesus. Um, Bible says do that. Final principle to being an effective team is that we need to be clear about our mission. We need to be clear about our mission. If the church is going to stay united, it's because we're clear about our goal, our mission. I tell couples when they're getting married, conflict is always going to divide us. What keeps us together is a, clear, a clarity about our mission, our goal when it comes to marriage, which is ultimately intimacy. It's deep friendship. It's oneness. It's about oneness. It's about closeness. It's about deep friendship. That's the goal. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one. That's the goal of marriage. Conflict is going to always try to divide us. And, and provided we stay focused on the goal, it's always going to bring us together and try to clarify what they're at. Well, as a church, if we're going to be united, we need to be clear about our mission. Paul says in Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. For there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Can I, can I just say this? Uh, and what Paul is saying here, there's one vision. There's one God, one baptism, one love, one, one everything. There's only one. Stay focused on God and everything will be fine. You know what the concept of division is? Division is two visions. It's division, two visions. And wherever there's division, two visions, where there's division, two people going in two separate ways. We need to stay focused on what church is all about. I'm reading a book at the moment called The Advantage by Patrick Leoncioni. Great book. He speaks about organizational health. And one of the points he makes is that every organization needs to answer answer a simple question. Why do we exist? It's a powerful question. I don't know why I'm talking about marriage, but, you know, as, as married couples, we need to ask ourselves, why do we exist? What's the goal here? Where, what are we trying to achieve? As a church, we talk about love God, you know, know God. We want people to know God, come into a relationship with God. We want people to grow together. We want people to serve others. Um, uh, three really important aspects of our vision. As I reflected on that question, the first thought that came to my mind was to change people's destinies. It was the first thought that came to mind. Why do we exist? To change people's destinies. 
We believe that when a person comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their life can be radically changed. Not only here on earth, but also for eternity. It's, it's, a, it's just a great principle. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a great uh, thing to understand that, that someone can be going in one direction, but as they come uh, to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, when their eyes are open and they can, they can see Jesus, their whole life can be going in a completely different direction. You see, it's only the love of Jesus that can conquer sin. It's only the love of Jesus that can heal broken hearts, that can heal wounds, that can wipe out shame, restore marriages, reconcile enemies. It's only the love of Jesus that can do those things. He's the only one that can change the human heart. And when a person comes to know Jesus Christ, their destiny can be changed. Their eternal destiny can be changed. Not only here on earth, but then for eternity. And I'd like to think that because of what happens here at life, someone's destiny could be changed. Through an interaction, a song, a word, a prompting of the Holy Spirit, that as we stand in God's presence, a person could have an encounter with God that would change their lives. Think about the Apostle Paul, it was a religious terrorist, hated the church, persecuted the church, spoke against the church, did everything he could to destroy the church. But one day on the road to Damascus, he, was, he has this undeniable encounter with Jesus and he was radically changed. I want to pray that every time we gather together as a church, come on, that something would happen in someone's life that would change their destiny. And that's not just for someone visiting. We, 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 we want people that are visiting our church to, to come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. But even those of us veterans that have been coming to church week in and week out for many, many years, we've kind of got used to become familiar with the church. I, I want to pray that every time we gather together, that God is going to speak into our lives, into my life, that through a song, an interaction, through the preaching of the word, it's not just going to be more words. That something is going to be spoken that is going to change my life. Old Testament, I think it's Ezekiel. We talked about this with staff this week. Uh, Ezekiel, and he prophesies to Ezekiel and he says, tell the church that they to walk in one, through one door and walk out through another door. Don't, don't walk out of the same door that you walked into. And I believe that speaks prophetically to all of us that says when we come to church, we should walk in one way and walk out a different way. That the Holy Spirit would speak to us, that, that as we're standing there, that God would speak to us, that God would, would touch something in our lives, that God would heal us, that God would restore us, that He would heal our wounds, our brokenness, that our brokenness would be just a little bit more repaired than what it was when we walked in. It's the power of the church. It's why we exist. To see lives changed, to see destinies changed in the name of Jesus. When you, when, you, when you capture that, when you understand what the vision of the church is, you, you do things different. If there's something that's going to unite us together, it's the cause of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church. When he said, I will build my church, he had a picture in mind of what that church would look like. The clearer the picture of the church in our mind, the more united we will be in letting that picture become a reality. We're going to be the church that God has called us to be. Make sure our differences don't divide us. It's because we're clear about our mission. Many of us know the story in the Old Testament, the, 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 the Tower of Babel. Uh, the Bible says the people of the time had one language and, and one common speech. Um, it's believed, if you read the historical text, it was Italian. They were speaking Italian. That was, I don't know. That's what the, they got together and said, why don't we build a tower to heaven? And so they began to build it. When God saw this, He said, listen to this scripture. This is God speaking as He watched His people. If as one people speaking the same language, they begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do shall be impossible for them. 
It's a powerful verse. If there's one people speaking the same language, working towards one God, nothing is going to be impossible for them. That's true for us. The, the thought for this message this morning is really simple. Hey, come on, let's work together for the cause of Jesus Christ. We can each go and do our own separate things and we can individually do stuff which is really good. But if we would just unite together, one mind, one heart, one spirit, one cause, then nothing shall be impossible for us. If we can understand the power of together, encourage each other, hong hong, accept each other's differences and stay focused on the mission and nothing's going to be impossible. But here's the deal. Listen carefully. We can either use teamship and togetherness for the right purpose or for the wrong purpose. Listen, listen to the verse before, uh, that one there. Verse 4 of Genesis chapter 11. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. We can either unite together to make a name for ourselves or we can unite together to lift up the name of Jesus. Can I say that again? We can either unite together to make a name for ourselves. What a pitiful mission that would be. What, what a pitiful mission that would be. People say, oh, life is a good church. Or we can unite together to lift up the name of Jesus. Where people say, you know, I went to life the other week. Someone invited me to go to this crazy church. And I don't know, but there's just something about that place. It wasn't the speaking. It wasn't the singing. It wasn't, it wasn't anything. Else. I don't know. There's just something about that place. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. But, but I know something different. Um, thing in the Old Testament. The temple was to be a place where the name of God dwells. That's what we want this place to be. A place where, where God dwells. A place where His presence dwells. His grace comes. Because at the end of the day, we can't do anything for anyone. It's only the, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the power of God, the presence of God. We always want to be a church that lifts up the name of Jesus because Peter said, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So when Jesus began His ministry, one of the first things He did, He assembled a team. He brought a team together. He chose this ragtag group of 12 men to whom He entrusted the message of the Gospel and He filled them with the Holy Spirit. And this group of men turned the world upside down. And I believe that God is still looking for teams. I, be I believe that God is still looking for groups of people called the Church of Jesus Christ. The disciples of Jesus that He can entrust with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel message, that He can fill them with the Holy Spirit so that they could turn the whole world upside down. I pray that would be Life Christian Center in the name of Jesus. I pray that we would be everything that God has called us to be. And David served God's purpose in his own generation and he fell asleep. That verse doesn't only apply to an individual, it applies to a church as well. We want to collectively join together and serve the purpose of God in our generation so that we can be the physical representation of Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me? Some people say, well, if only Jesus was here on earth. Oh, He would make a big difference. If Jesus was here on earth, everything would change. 
Jesus was here on earth for 33 years. And you know what they did to Jesus? They crucified him. They crucified him. Jesus left. He ascended on high and he says, I need to go so that the Holy Spirit can come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit's going to indwell you and it's going to enable you to serve the purposes of God. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. We are the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is it forms Christ in us so that we can be more like Jesus. And that's the role of the church. And right now, today, all over Australia, there are churches gathering together where the Holy Spirit is present, touching people's lives, restoring people's lives. All over the world, there are churches gathering where the Holy Spirit is present, touching people's lives, restoring people's hearts. Let's bow our heads and pray. So, Father, we just thank you for your spirit and your power. Help us to be everything that you've called us to be. Bless us, guide us, lead us, that this church would not just be a statistic, but it would accomplish your purposes for this church. Bless us, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.